Hey, everybody. Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super, super excited for this week's show because we have a very special guest here to talk about one of the last great films by my favorite director, Toby Hooper. Uh, the Toolbox Murders, or just Toolbox Murders, I should say, is uh, the author of Yippie Kaye Moviegoer, the author of Sigology, the author of uh, Worm on a Hook. Please welcome Outlaw Vern. Hi, Vern. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I have to tell you, I'm going to fanboy out a little bit. I've been reading your work forever. You have long been one of my absolute favorite voices in film criticism, and uh, it is a genuine honor to have you on the show. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. <laughs> Not to I make you... I don't uh, buy it at all. But, oh, no, it's absolutely <laughs> true. Um, I uh, Every once in a while, will find myself when I'm writing I'll have to delete sentences because I realize I'm copying your style too much. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like Vern. And I don't want to rip you off. So I have to delete things that I write. But you are a, a tremendous influence and a tremendous, tremendous writer. So thank you for agreeing to be on the show and to talk about uh, a great movie that got fucking vetoed on screen drafts. So I'm glad that we get to do it some justice here. Oh, yeah, that's right. I listened to that. You, you did good work, though. Well, thank you. I tried to get both. So I just today I reread your uh, the column that you published on Halloween about this movie and just kind of about Toby Hooper's career, uh, which everyone should read at outlawvern.com. And um, you talk about both The Mangler and Toolbox Murders. And I thought to myself, those are both the movies that I tried to get on the Toby draft and got <laughs> vetoed on both. Yeah, I was rooting for both of them, too. I appreciate it. <laughs> Those are they're like the late misunderstood Toby Hoopers. Yes. It, well, it takes a special kind of film fan to appreciate those movies. So <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, and, yeah I was just going to say, as, as I wrote about it, like when I initially saw The Mangler, when it came out in the 90s, I thought it was horrible. I, I hated it <clears throat> and thought it was laughable and everything and then i rewatched it shortly after he died and was completely blown away by it and that was before it even came out on blu-ray now there's a nice blu-ray of it so yeah it's nice that uh screen factory has done a lot i think to sort of uh re get people to reconsider his filmography because they've put so many of his movies out in these sort of beautiful blu-rays and uh canonized some of the movies that maybe were not in the canon before yeah i think even texas chainsaw massacre 2 uh it's easy to forget that everyone used to hate that or not everyone obviously but a lot of people used to hate that and i, I feel like it was after the screen factory came out that people started to rewatch it and realize what a great movie it is it is it is uh, a masterpiece and actually i found out after the screen drafts draft this is the first time i've mentioned this publicly but elric and i were texting and he was ready to put toolbox murders on but have texas chainsaw 2 off but did it as a favor to me because he knows what a fan i am <laughs> yeah oh that that would have been outrageous that would have been time to roll some cars and stuff yeah i can't imagine a, a toby hooper draft without texas chainsaw 2 because i really do think it's like the most toby hooper movie ever made yeah exactly i agree <laughs> um what is it about 
toolbox murder. So we were kicking around like, what do you want to talk about? Well, let's talk about Toby Hooper because we're both uh, big fans and you threw out toolbox murders. What is it about this movie that was drawing you to it to talk about tonight? I think just because I had rewatched it around Halloween and I, I mentioned to you before, I think, or I wrote about it in that, in that column that yeah. I had had this sort of uh, negative experience with going on the, the very good podcast, the King cast. <laughs> my, my mission was to defend the mangler and knowing that both hosts hated it. And I went in with a lot of notes and tried to do a whole presentation on the entire filmography of, of Toby Hooper and, and how it all ties together. And I'm not great at that kind of thing. So, you know, I tried my hardest, but I feel like I didn't go over very well. And, and that was supported by the fact that they didn't even post the episode for almost a year. after it was <laughs> <laughs> So at the time when I initially talked to you about coming on here, it hadn't even been posted. Oh, and no. then, yeah. And then it, I think it went up in October and I have still, it's a Patreon episode, but to this day, not one person has said, hey, I heard you on. <laughs> so I'm assuming that anyone that has listened was not too impressed by, by my attempt. But uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be in, in a more uh, friendly. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> Toby Hooper friendly. Area. <laughs> you are you are among your own people here. Um, I listened to that. The the original episode that they did on the Mangler is maybe the only and this is nothing against the king cast or its hosts um but i think that's the only episode i ever listened to and it bummed me out so hard that i never went back to listen to the king cast because oh, no. <laughs> it was, was just so negative towards a movie i think is kind of great yeah yeah i have a i mean this is kind of common for me because there's a lot of movies that i love that i know most people hate so i, I get into these ideas of like oh, I can't wait till they do an episode about the Mangler because they're going to agree with me about how great it is, you know? And then and then when it finally happens, it's like, nope. All three, <laughs> all three participants think it's the worst thing ever. And then also did, what was really bad is that then they also did a lot of attacking the overall filmography. Yes. Kind of treating him as kind of more like a one-hit wonder, which is not not my take on it. Which for so long has been the common wisdom i think on him and so it was a bummer i again i, I don't want to just get into like trashing yeah, their arguments when yeah they're not i here like to... yeah i want to be clear i really like both of those guys yeah and, yeah yeah and the podcast is really good it was just this particular issue that i'm sensitive about i guess which is understandable because the mangler uh kind of rules and exactly. he has a lot of uh great movies that he made you know after the texas chainsaw massacre after poltergeist i think is kind of the last movie that people will say okay toby hooper made a great movie but then of course that's marred by the whole debate as to whether yeah they try to take it away from them exactly um but that leaves out fableman directed it (laughs) (laughs) um that leaves out like 75 percent of his filmography most of which i love i mean there's a few that i have a harder time going to bat for um including one movie in the Adam Girash, Jace Anderson run, um, is that which Crocodile? is the crocodile. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I still think it's fun, you know, like I I'm entertained by that movie, which has to count for something. I just don't see a ton of Toby Hooper in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I need to go back to that one though. I haven't seen it since it came out, but that was how I felt at the time. And at the time, it you know, its reception and its reputation is such a bummer because it's so like, well, this is what he's reduced to. He's making these, you know, sci-fi original movies, but there's way more going on in that movie than just that uh, branding. Uh, and then Night Terrors. Have you seen Night Terrors? Can you? Yeah. Can you remind Robert me Englund plays the Marquis de Sade. And it's the, okay, the Marquis de Sade one. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird one. It's got a lot of Toby Hooper in it, but it doesn't gel together well for me. Right. But it's definitely definitely weird. The weird snake lady. Yes. <laughs> you know, like weird in an interesting way where you like can't picture somebody else doing that sort of thing. And that was one that he was hired very last minute. I think they had fired the original director, and Robert Englund brought Toby Hooper in as a friend to sort of rescue the movie so i all the toby hooper touches i love because you know he was just throwing that shit in there he didn't develop the script or anything like that he just was on set throwing in his weird toby hooper shit yeah i love that but i you know your predilection for going to bat for movies that maybe aren't as well loved is like what drew me to your writing in the first place uh so i love that you are a champion of like fucked up movies <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. um so I, I i would say because he only made like some tv he did his masters of horror and he did gin after this but my sort of running uh thesis on toolbox murders is that this is the last great toby hooper movie yeah i agree with that and are you a fan of the original at all uh i've seen it once and i was really impressed by the opening stretch the sort of infamous part where it's just a guy walking through different apartments drilling people and stuff yeah um but it's like a really impressive like holy shit kind of kick you in the balls kind of opening and then i basically remember nothing about the rest of the movie <laughs> <laughs> I tried so I to really... watch it today. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and how, I, did it, how did it I, go? I saw the opening and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm in. And then I kind of nodded off. I feel terrible <laughs> saying. And I woke up and Cameron Mitchell was like feeding a girl a sandwich tied up in bed. And I'm like, how did we get here? Now I need to and go he... back and fill in the blanks. Yeah, you know, I was remembering him as being the killer. But I think when I was reading about it after watching the Hooper one isn't it there's another killer and then he's also a weirdo I forget I think that's correct <laughs> again I only saw the cool. beginning and the end so I missed that's pretty Toby Hooper actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's and that's one of the cool things about um about Toolbox Murders his remake because it's got such like a it does that funhouse thing where it's like we have a killer in a mask for two thirds of the movie. And then in the last third of the movie, we remove the mask and reveal, Oh, it's not just a killer. It's a fucking monster. <laughs> yeah. And not, a, not only that, but they, there's all these things that set up all these different red herrings in it. So there's like reason to believe several different characters are the masked killer. And then it's like, Nope, it's a guy that has not been mentioned. <laughs> exactly. A, a monster who was born inside a corpse <laughs> in a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> the the attempts to add like some black magic and like some supernatural stuff it, they feel 
I don't want to say half-hearted, but they're not fully developed. It's this weird mix of like traditional slasher and black magic, which I dig, but it almost feels like the the mythology stuff either is from an early draft or was written in at the last minute. Based on what I read, I think it was like they had they wrote the script and then Toby Hooper came up with the coffin baby thing and had them add that in. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> That's why but he's they, the best. Yeah, but they did develop the script for him because it was it it was once they found out that he was willing to do it, the producers they just let him go for it. And yeah, so they did they dished the script that they had before. And this is the second of three collaborations with Jason Adam because Mortuary comes after this. Am I correct? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, okay. Yeah, Crocodile. Yeah, I, Mortuary was pretty good. I I have I've only seen it once. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I like Mortuary. I just I I wouldn't quite put it in the top tier of Toby Hooper movies, but I think it's like a really underrated movie that I think a lot of people write off because it's low budget or because again it's Toby Hooper, sort of in his wilderness period, and I don't think people have a lot of patience for looking for the good in that period. But I I'm a fan of Mortuary. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's like, yeah, it's not toolbox is so much like 100% Toby Hooper. And that's kind of more a movie someone else might've done, but. Right. Yeah. He's really kind of like firing on all cylinders here. And that's why I, you know, kind of think like this is his last great movie because again, there's stuff I like in all of his post 2000 movies, including Jin. I think Jin is really interesting especially where that movie kind of lands, uh, which I don't want to spoil, but, um, and I know that movie got taken away from him and recut mm-hmm. somewhere. I have like an original director's cut. Somebody sent me a file, but I've never watched oh, wow. it. Yeah. If I locate it, I will send it to you. Okay. I have a digital file of it somewhere, but um, I like all of his two thousands, you know, era movies, but Toolbox Murders, I think, stands above the rest by a pretty significant margin because I just think it's like, it's him. I don't want to say there's no comedy in it because there's definitely stuff that's like over the top that it becomes funny. But he's really pushing scary in a way that he hasn't in a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's quite gory too. And apparently cut. If you've have you watched the deleted scenes and I haven't. I saw in your article that, that <laughs> the gory scenes were uh cut for the deleted scenes, so I have to run and get my DVD again. Yeah, the the death of Juliet Landau is really, really intense in the actual movie. And then when you see the the uncut version, it's like holy shit. <laughs> it's like it's real upsetting because you like that character and then it goes really overboard in how how horribly she gets killed. It reminded me of um whatchamacallit, uh Terrifier Two. Yeah, yeah. I can where, see that comparison. Where we have the character that we like and we're <laughs> like, I don't know if she deserves that, but okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um yeah, I just I reread your piece on Terrifier Two today also because I'm fascinated by that movie. Oh yeah, did you like it? Or I think I, yeah, no, I like it overall. I, I was reluctant to like the first one and I kind of come down on the side of liking it now. I like the second one a lot more. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I had avoided it on that. I generally think evil clowns are corny. So, <laughs> but then like all the hubbub about the new one actually got me to see it, and I'm glad it was. It was. It was quite an experience seeing that in a normal multiplex. <laughs> yeah, I missed. I, I watched it on like a screener link, so I missed okay. my chance yeah. to. I had a ticket to go see it when it was supposed to be just a one night thing. And then when I got the screener link, I canceled my ticket. But now I kind of wish I would have gone because I when I bought my ticket, I was like, well, I'll just be sitting by myself in a theater watching this two and a half hour slasher movie. <laughs> but now when I find out, you know, it's made all this money and stuff, I'm like, oh, that would have been a full house. And that probably would have been a ton of fun. Yeah, it wasn't a full house when I saw it, but there were other people. I, I don't know why I get a kick out of seeing like really kind of transgressive or weird movies in a setting like that like seeing crimes of the future in like a amc theater where they play <laughs> like minions ads before it is done for some reason, <laughs> some reason that gives me a, i get a kick out of that i remember going to uh, <laughs> oh my gosh you saw titan <laughs> in a theater yeah like an amc theater <laughs> i remember going to see um in like 96 or 97, I went to see Liar Liar, and then I drove across the street to the multiplex and saw Cronenberg's crash on opening night. And I walked in and it was like me and 15 other single men. And I was like, <laughs> I have made a mistake. <laughs> uh, I remember at least one walkout, but the experience wasn't as fucked up as I would have hoped. Oh, yeah. Yeah, walkouts are funny, too. <laughs> well because you have to sit and wonder like why didn't they walk out i remember like walkouts during jackass 2 and i was like why were you fine with an hour of people electrocuting their balls but like this, this one put you over yeah <laughs> i don't know it's a weird thing yeah um the the participation obviously of angela bettis i think helps this movie immeasurably not just because she brings so much goodwill as a genre fan but because she's a great actor and like immediately is likable and sympathetic um i don't know how your feelings are about angela bettis oh yeah i agree and i this like watching that actually got me to revisit some of her other like i watched may again and i had never seen um roman oh yeah which which i didn't like as much but it was interesting to see yeah. and then and then uh sick girl the lucky mckee uh masters of horror yes have you seen that one i have yeah because yeah i really loved that like she's really funny in it she's doing like in my review i compared it to a nick cage comedy performance because it's just like she's doing like a weird kind of rhythm and accent and then she does even weirder voices when she's talking to her bugs 100 <laughs> percent, yeah <laughs> but also it's like kind of a cute uh, romantic comedy basically but with giant bugs that are carving into their brains and controlling them i miss masters of horror that was i mean they weren't all great but like some real gems came out of there yeah there's some pretty good ones are you a fan um, of the the toby ones i think they're okay they're yeah they're yeah they're they're interesting as a toby completist but um not as good as like i think the best ones i've seen are like the the don coscarelli one i really liked absolutely and then the the john carpenter ones are both pretty good yeah you know which one i weirdly really like is uh i was just talking about this on a recent podcast it's called right to die it's by the guy who did wrong turn and basically nothing else Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. It's Martin Donovan, 
and um robin sydney and one other actor it's basically just a three-hander but it's good but i thought it was weird that they had i think his name is rob schmidt coming okay yeah he made he made one movie and then they're like you're a master (laughs) of horror come do an episode (laughs) well that's like lucky mckee only had may right but he i read that he um roger corman was sick and so he took over at kind of the last minute oh i didn't realize that yeah and actually interestingly lucky mckee i i didn't know this until recently when i dug out an old fangoria about toolbox murders that lucky mckee was originally supposed to play uh, the coffin baby i found that out from your review (laughs) and he's very tall and he you can see how it might have worked and then because of that he brought in his he recommended his cinematographer from may um who now is cinematographer of the last jedi and stuff because he's ryan johnson's guy steve yedlin yes that's his name yeah that's unreal yeah i love how movies work (laughs) like (laughs) you're working on a star wars now you shot toolbox murders for toby hooper (laughs) now you're going to space baby um (laughs) He did a really good job. That's a good he movie. did, yeah. I don't. I don't always love like the the sort of piss yellow cinematography of some of the hotel or hotel stuff. Some of the apartment stuff. It's very two thousand four. Yeah. Um. I mean, the movie looks good overall. I'm not knocking the cinematography, but every once in a while, when I'm looking at a frame, I'm like, oh, this feels dated in a way because of the popularity of mostly the saw franchise at the time, like eventually saw two, especially takes that aesthetic and runs with it. I think a year later. Um, And that really influences a lot of horror movies around this period. So toolbox murders was kind of first, uh, but it does date the movie in a way. Maybe we weren't the only ones that liked it. They were all copying it. Yeah, I guess so. Darren Bowsman saw toolbox murders and said, (laughs) make it look like that. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say something about Lucky McKee. Oh, I like the fact that Lucky McKee has like, you know, he was crowned a master of horror after just one movie. And as you said, was filling in for Roger Corman, but like, I think has sort of earned that reputation in the years since i think he's he doesn't make as many horror movies these days but i think he made like some i I really like the woods i fucking love the woman uh i I think he made some really great ones yeah i think the woman is honestly like my favorite horror movie of that decade it's after rewatching it it's it's like it's kind of ahead of its time and what it's talking about yes and and it's just in such an interesting setup of watching this family torment this basically like monster feral monster woman who is kind of like almost not really the protagonist but kind of is right right (laughs) she's the one she's the one you sympathize with and it's exciting when she gets out at the at the end and wreaks havoc and another great angela bettis performance i i've seen the movie that predates the woman which was called offspring and i saw the Pollyanna McIntosh movie that came after, which was called Darlin. And I'm not crazy about either. I I did not like the offspring, but I liked Dar Darlin. It's not as good as 
the woman, but it's very different in a, in a yeah. good way. You know, it's not really trying to do the same thing. Right. But she's, you still get her in that character a little bit, and then you get kind of a whole different thing about her quasi-daughter. Right. She did a good job directing it. I just... Yeah. It's a, it's has to do with um, like organized religion a lot, and I think there's yeah. part of me that's just a little bit like, oh, okay, this has been already said. <laughs> We've covered this. <laughs> Whereas the woman, I mean, some of that stuff has been said too, but not quite as uh, loudly or as bluntly as Lucky McKee says it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> man, that movie's good. And I remember going to see it, uh, it. That was a movie that played at like my AMC, and I went to see it the day it opened. And oh wow, uh, I, people didn't know what to make of it. In particular, the music. Cause there's all these like sort of pseudo pop rock songs that play oh, over some of these really dark moments. And that shit works for me. Thing. So yeah. yeah, I mean that I, I was fully on board for that, but there were, I talked to some people afterwards that were like, Oh, I didn't like it. What was that music? <laughs> Do you remember that uh, when it played at, I don't know if it was Sundance or something. And there, and there was like an infamous thing where a guy was stood up and was yelling at him during a Q&A. Yes, I do. <laughs> he had like a full meltdown. That was pretty funny. And I, <laughs> I believe, I believe uh, Drew McQueenie stood up and started yelling back at the guy. Yes, he sure <laughs> seen, did. <laughs> what The videos. same thing happened. What's the one with Roger Ebert did the same thing once. Yeah, it was uh, Better Luck Tomorrow. Oh right? yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Yeah, it was being that movie was being criticized as for showing, allegedly showing Asian American characters in a negative light, and he kind of stood up for the right of Asian filmmakers to not have to follow rules that white people don't have to about showing their characters as being saints and you know. right. <laughs> Yeah, there's. I know. I don't remember if there's if there was video of the Better Luck Tomorrow, but I know there's video of the Drew McQueenie one. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! <laughs> um, all right, back to toolbox murders. I'm sorry, yes. I keep I keep leading us astray. Um, I love that this is. I'm a big. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm a big Rob Zombie guy in terms of as a filmmaker, and so I love that this is the one. And obviously. I think I'm drawn to Rob Zombie movies because Toby Hooper is such an influence on yeah. him. Yeah, clearly. And this is the one non-Rob Zombie movie that Cherry Moon has ever appeared in. Yeah, you know, I I don't think I... I don't remember knowing that the first time I saw it. I don't think I picked up on that it was her, even though I'd seen... I guess I was just used to her as Baby in the House right. of Thousand Corpses version. But yeah, that's really cool to see to see her in that little part. Yeah. She's good in it, too. Yeah, right. I mean, it's she's playing the, you know, sort of Janet Lee, Drew Barrymore yeah. cameo kind of a thing. But yeah, she does a good job. Is her, I'm guessing her death scene, is there more of that that was deleted? Because it's pretty, you don't see much. Oh, yeah. I don't remember for sure. I think probably. Okay. I mean, it sounds like all of them did. I don't know. I have to go back and watch the DVD now, but yeah. There needs to be a Blu-ray of this movie, too. Yeah. What the fuck, Scream Factory? Come on. Get it, get it together. <laughs> right? Or Vinegar <laughs> Syndrome or any of these uh, companies now that... Did you happen to get the Vinegar Syndrome Texas Chainsaw 2? 
I have, I, I have not yet listened to your commentary. Oh, that's okay. You do not need to listen to my commentary. <laughs> no, I will. I will. It's maybe the best disc of the year, especially if you're a fan of that movie. Like, yeah, it's the, so beautiful. I don't have a 4K player, but I'm I'm happy to however many dip on that movie. And, and Vinegar Syndrome makes such beautiful packages. And yeah, I just yeah, I love what they do. Yeah, I think I own three blu-rays of that movie now because i have <laughs> i sold off my original like mgm one but i still have my scream factory i have the vinegar syndrome one and i still have the arrow one that i know you just watched eggshells right yeah what'd you think of eggshells <laughs> it was very interesting it's like you know i wouldn't recommend it to most people because it's not really it's just kind of an experimental right experience psychedelic hippie thing but it's especially as having been obsessed with texas chainsaw massacre for as long as i have like it was kind of mind-blowing to see that and realize where his mind was at before right. texas chainsaw and doesn't it feel like he kind of needed to do that movie in order to do texas chainsaw like he had to get a lot of that experimental stuff out of his system and then figure out what worked and like learn how to deal with like the the performances of the characters are very similar to texas chainsaw how they're they're just kind of talking like it seems like they're just kind of talking to each other and not following a script at all right right and like yeah it's really and it looks looks good and like yeah it's really interesting yeah it's one of my other favorite uh directors is brian de palma and it's funny that they both go through this like hippie phase because i struggle with some of brian de palma's early movies as well the way i kind of I'm fascinated and interested in eggshells, but like that is not my kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and De Palma goes through that same kind of weird hippie phase and then starts making just like classic after classic of like sort of black comedy horror. You know, I mean, he's a very different filmmaker than Toby Hooper, but I know what I'm responding to in both guys. Yeah, I can see that if that makes sense, but uh, I'm not into their hippie periods. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting to have it confirmed that he was, that he did have a hippie period, you know, like I right. don't really know where he stands on that. Like I, people always read, you know, it's a common thing to say Texas Chainsaw is about Vietnam or something, but it doesn't really directly come out in the movie. It's just kind of a theory an interpretation of what was going on in the world. But in that movie, you can see that he actually, documents a real vietnam protest at the beginning and mm -hmm. like so we we know that was on his mind so yeah it's interesting he uh did you happen to watch the heisters as well yeah <laughs> i i didn't really get the humor in that one for the <laughs> but it's very impressive like it doesn't look like a, a student film you know? not at all it's weird and also to know that his first major thing is like all out comedy is interesting yeah well that's you know i feel like that comes up again and again in his filmography that he's pushing humor that is sort of i don't want to say it's going over the heads of the audience but i think the horror stands out uh so well that people miss the comedy and that's obviously what leads to texas chainsaw 2 is like I thought the first one was funny. You guys didn't see that because you were too busy pissing your pants being <laughs> terrified. So now I'm really going to push the humor 
Um, but then the humor and the horror kind of exist side by side. And it's, it's an uneasy mix, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, that's part of what's so amazing about it is that it's, even though it's, is really funny, it's also like so intense. Like it doesn't, the humor doesn't take any of the tension out of it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like Chop Top, Chop Top sort of invading the radio station is really funny but it's that's part of why it's so tense and scary you know yeah that's again that's what i that i think is so so special about that movie is that it's not like joke joke scare or scare scare tension relief scare scare tension relief it's like it's it's firing on both at all times and so you have a scene that's horrifying um, like Leatherface putting LG's face on stretch to hide her, but then she'll say something like it's wet and it's the funniest shit you've ever heard, <laughs> but it's still such a horrifying moment, but it's funny that he thinks he's hiding her by putting a face. On. I yeah. love that movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when I, when I used to watch it on v- VHS, um, I had some kind of like cut version originally that didn't have that whole sequence in it. Oh, no way. Yeah. And then later, so then like later I saw a longer version and like, that was just mind blowing. <laughs> I didn't realize there was ever, was it like an R rated cut? Cause I, I know the movie went out unrated. Yeah. I think that's what it is, is that I initially saw it as an R rated version. I didn't even know there was an R rated cut of that movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's gone, but. <laughs> well now that i need to re-record my commentary <laughs> <laughs> that was initially how i knew it i i i feel like the part where he was hammering where chop tops hammering lg on the head is a little less graphic but it was mainly that whole section where you, you like i don't think you saw him again after the radio station if i remember right oh wow so yeah so that was that just me and my friend Isaac, I remember watching that and just going, what? <laughs> being, being blown away. I like when I get real frustrated when uh, movies come out as director's cuts sometimes because I'm like, like I always like Alien 3 is a great example. I've never watched the assembly cut of Alien 3 because I don't know the original Alien 3 well enough to spot the differences. Mm-hmm. And I want to like immerse myself in in Alien Three before I watch the assembly cut, and then I watch Alien Three, and then I'm like, I don't feel like watching the assembly cut, so I never <laughs> get to it. And then two years later, I decide to do it again. So it's nice when I know a movie well enough, like Texas Chainsaw Two, or I remember like when the you know two second longer unrated cut of True Romance came out, and I, when I was in high school, and I knew that movie backwards and forwards, so I knew the differences, and I didn't have to like revisit the original. Most times, I have to like school myself before I can delve into a director's cut. Yeah, I have that. I have that issue too. I did that with uh, Raising Cain recently. How you know? I've never watched the 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 alternate version on the Scream Factory disc. How is that? Well, it was interesting because I did the same thing where I'm like, well, like, you know, I was doing a, a 1992 retrospective. So I felt like I had to watch the original version. Um, so, which I love. And then, yeah. and then the way that it's reordered now, I, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but they reorder the scene. So like you realize what's going on at different times. And I, I much preferred the 
the the theatrical release. Okay. And I felt like they, um, I could see why it was originally intended the, the, the first way and he kind of got, he kind of second guessed himself and changed it. But I think the way he changed it makes it much crazier. And so, <laughs> and that's, you know, I don't want a less crazy version of. <laughs> right, exactly. And so like, yeah, so I forget, I think I forget exactly how it works, but I, I love in the theatrical version that when he, when John Lithgow suddenly sneezes powder into this woman's face <laughs> and, and attacks her, like that's the first confirmation of like, oh my God, this guy is crazy. Um, but you know, well before that in the, in the director's cut, what's now considered the director's cut. So. Um, oh yeah. That's it totally fun. takes, yeah, it takes that away. So, but when I wrote about it a lot, I got a lot of pushback on that. Like a lot of people really prefer the, the director's cut. So I won't, I'm not discouraging people from watching it. They may very well prefer it. But. <laughs> is it, is it like, Okay, I, oh, wow, you even have a screen cap of him sneezing the powder into the woman's face. I'm, I have your review pulled up now so I can read it later. Um, is it like, oh, this director's cut is legitimately better, or is it an allegiance to the director's vision? Do you know what I mean? Where sometimes you want to be on the side of the director, so you're like, well, I like yeah. the director's cut because that's the one they wanted. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I mean, I think people probably do legitimately just prefer the way it's presented because it's like, you know, it's just reordered, but it very much changes the feel of it when you right. when you watch it that way. And um, I, I think in this case, it's not even really, it's kind of like he had initially thought about doing it this way that's now the director's cut. He changed his mind and released it as a theatrical cut. And then a fan read about the original way he wanted it and cut it that way and like put it online. And then he was impressed by that and got them to include that on the release of it. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So it wasn't even like he pushed for like this right. is my version, but when he saw it, he's like, Oh yeah, I like that. So <laughs> yeah, that's it's, amazing. It's a, it's a strange instance. <laughs> I, love, I just uh, revisited the tr- trailer for that movie for some reason and i just was marveling at the fact that like that came out in theaters like (laughs) those movies don't exist anymore (laughs) yeah when i when i did that 1992 i just did like a summer of 92 retrospective during the summer and it was really cool to realize i called it weird summer because it was like you got that movie and then like the two biggest blockbusters were Batman Returns and Alien 3, you know? <laughs> the aforementioned which, Alien yeah, 3. Yeah, which are, I think, great movies and very interesting and like, but so not commercial in the way that right. we see things now. <laughs> right. You know, like, can you imagine any any franchise having a director come on and just kill off two of the three main characters during the credits and... <laughs> You know, it's, the whole the Alien 3 approach. and just Yeah. Uh, just even the notion that, like, everybody's got to shave their head because there's a lice outbreak. Like, that's not going in a movie now. Yeah. And, and like, I don't, I forget if it was Sigourney that didn't want guns, but it was like, we're going to have I think it was. With, yeah, we're going to have a movie with no guns. Yeah. And everybody, and it's about sort of finding redemption for these horrible people that were told are killers and rapists and stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's a very, yeah, there's, 
There's no making that movie on that budget now. <laughs> well, now you're talking me into watching the assembly. Cuts, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I did the same thing where I watched the theatrical cut for historical purposes, but I did watch the assembly cut, and I think I, I think I do prefer that. Um, the the both, assembly cut. Yeah, but they're both very good. Okay. Um, speaking of De Palma, since we're talking about raising Cain, and De Palma has come up a few times. Do you have a favorite? period of De Palma or like a favorite De Palma decade? Because um, he kind of has I, movements to his career. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I had, I mean, obviously there's a, like the 70s is kind of the strongest straightforward period, but I think when I think about my favorite ones, I lean toward Raising Cain and Femme Fatale as the two like craziest, most De Palma ones. Yes. And then, and then Carrie is the one that I just watch it over and over again. So I kind of have to admit that's my favorite one. But... Carrie gets better every time I watch it. Yeah. Which is crazy because I've seen it a bunch of times, but <laughs> yeah. I, I had a chance to like host a screening of it a couple of years ago and it was my first time ever seeing it theatrically and it became such a better movie. It was like already a movie that I loved. And then I was seeing it on a screen, you know, that was huge. I was oh, like, wow. oh, this movie is a legitimate masterpiece. Yeah. I've never seen it in the theater. I do remember seeing Carrie 2, <laughs> the Rage Carrie 2. As did I. Which is which I sort of like, you know. But then yeah, like if they I... hadn't killed off Sue, Sue Snell, I'd be all in on that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. It's an it's a better than you would think movie. But then um I remember seeing the clips from Carrie on the big screen and going, you know, it kind of takes you out of right. Rage Carrie 2 and you go, <laughs> oh my god, that looks beautiful. <laughs> did you ever see speaking of Angela Bettis, the Angela Bettis Carrie? Oh yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> I've seen all the carries. I've seen every carry. Um, that yeah, that's the worst one. But yeah, and yeah, it's it's kind of I feel bad because she would have been such great casting when she was much younger. But she's like everyone in the, that is so much so far too old to be. Yeah, young. and then it's if, I didn't know this at the time that I saw it, but I saw it and then found out after the fact that it was like a backdoor TV pilot, which explains the batshit crazy ending oh yeah which kind of would have i mean at that time it would have been not handled well but it's kind of a cool idea to continue continue the adventures <laughs> the adventures of carrie <laughs> <laughs> de palma's like one of my mount rushmore guys where with the exception of like one or two movies i can like I will like a De Palma movie just because it's De Palma. Same with Toby Hooper, where it's like, I know this movie is maybe critically reviled or objectively disliked, but like I'll watch Black Dahlia and I'll find stuff to like in Black Dahlia because it's a De Palma movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I think Redacted is might be the only one that I didn't. Uh, redacted is one. And then that most recent one that is probably not even fair to call it a De Palma movie because oh, they chopped yeah. an hour out of it. Oh, wow. No, I haven't seen that one yet. It's, I mean, I would never say that a movie is like unwatchable, but it's close. There's like a great <laughs> rooftop sequence and then almost nothing else to recommend. And then I reviewed it and then later found out that the studio cut, I think he said an hour out of it. Oh, wow. Uh, do you, do you remember that he oh domino yeah that's right yeah yeah do you remember that he at one time was attached to the movie that became wild card with jason statham 
Uh, no, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it's a decent movie, and it's like a very direct remake of a, the movie Heat, the Burt Reynolds movie Heat. Yeah. Like, I think it literally even uses the exact same script. Um, <laughs> and it's a pretty cool movie, but it's um, it's Simon Simon West. Yeah, Simon West directed it. And it was initially going to be Brian De Palma. <laughs> it went from Brian De Palma to Simon West. To Simon West. That's the, the uh, trajectory. <laughs> and it's written by William Goldman. What, what is going on? Yeah. How have yeah, I not seen wrote- this movie? <laughs> Have you seen Heat, the Burt Reynolds one? I've seen Heat, yeah, but oh, I've okay, never yeah. seen Wild Card. Yeah, it's, they took, I believe they took the same script and did it with Jason Statham. And so it's got a couple little fight scenes. And the Burt Reynolds one is better in some ways and the, and the Statham one has better fights in it. Okay. Now I'm looking <laughs> at Amazon right now. Yeah, I recommend it. I'm, you know, I'm a Statham fan, but. Yeah, me too. Do I, do I watch the extended version? Or oh, the I don't know. regular version. The regular version runs an hour 32. The extended version is 10 minutes longer. Okay. Well, I saw it on either DVD or Blu-ray. So I probably, I assume I probably saw extended unless it okay. came later. It is uh, currently $4.99 as a digital purchase. So guess what I am doing <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> uh wait i entered my thing wrong um okay i did not know that was a de palma movie no i feel like i remember him in talks to remake heat but then i don't think i realized that like oh that happened and it was this movie wild card oh okay yeah yeah it became wild card not a de palma movie but still worth checking out Damn it. Uh, so Toolbox <laughs> Murders. Starring Jason Statham. Starring Jason Statham as the uh, the handyman. Um, we need to talk about a performance that you single out in your review as being maybe the greatest performance in this movie. And I agree with you 100%. And that is uh, Greg Travis as, as Byron. As Byron. <laughs> Building manager. Yeah. I don't remember that. I don't remember that jumping out at me in the first viewing, but yeah, this time I just thought he was hilarious. He, I had not learned his name for a long time and only referred to him as angry planet bug planet because that's his line in starship troopers. He's like the newscaster <laughs> at the beginning okay. of the movie. He says it's an angry planet, a bug planet. Uh, and I remembered him from like Showgirls. I knew him as like a Verhoeven guy and he's the guy who gets his ass kicked by Robert Loja and lost highway. Like he has all these memorable roles, <laughs> but he's so great in this movie. And like, I didn't realize he was Stacy Travis's brother. Okay. Uh, yeah, basically his role is to play down all the insane shit that's happening. Right, exactly. It gives the say, building well, character. You know, it's, I admit it's weird, but it's it's part of the personality of the place. <laughs> the building has a lot of history, which you're a part of. <laughs> yeah, he's just he's just so yeah, don't don't you agree? Like it's it's unclear whether it's only the if the lines themselves are funny or if it's just the way that he's right delivering it makes it's just such a good performance. Yeah. Well, and he's got, I think it's not the worst death in the movie um, because people get murdered pretty brutally. I think the doorman <laughs> probably gets it the worst because he's 
has his head viced and then he gets like lied thrown on him or something. But <laughs> the nightmarish part about the Greg Travis death, that's like a, a true Toby Hooper touch because it's funny in a way, in a real dark way, but also horrifying is, you know, he's got this big thing dug into his back and he screams out, just kill me. And it's like funny because this has been a funny character and he's almost like, irritated by what's happening to him you know it's like <laughs> just get put me on my misery already but i have a real thing about like characters who know that they're dying like it really upsets me yeah it's one thing when jason just like jumps out and axes somebody in the head and it's over before they realize what's happening but like in part four when the brother is like screaming he's getting stabbed and he's like he's killing me like i can't watch that that fucks me up and so craig travis screaming just kill me is sort of funny but also very upsetting to me yeah he didn't he didn't deserve it no he's he's kind of a bad manager (laughs) should he have been the hero of this movie (laughs) (laughs) and then Uh, it's one of it's one of the writers playing ned the handyman right Correct. Yeah, that's Adam Girash. Yeah, okay. He's a pretty funny character, too. Yeah, he's a, definitely a red herring, you know? Like, <laughs> if, if it's anybody, it's him. <laughs> yeah, the kind of red herring where you're like, well, it's not that guy because... <laughs> Every arrow points to him. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets an amazing death where his head is bisected under the eyes and then flopped down like a little, like a like a piece of watermelon and then... yeah. <laughs> and then blinks right after it's been separated from the rest of his head. Um, and he's a he's a writer and a director as well. I don't have you seen like the Night of the Demons remake that he did? I don't think so. It's not super great. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I just rewatched it on Halloween. I don't know why I chose that movie of all movies, but um, it's got Edward Furlong and Shannon Elizabeth and. Uh, monica kina maybe i don't know i mean there's like famous people in it but it's not great Mm -hmm. i prefer the original night of the demons i believe it (laughs) um i'm less a fan and this is gonna sound mean and i will apologize of uh nell's husband who i think the doctor guy yeah i just think part of me is just like you don't deserve her part of me is uh you know he's at fault for not believing her um yeah he's sort of inconsequential in the way that the movie plays out i mean he is the one who's sidelined because he gets hurt um but also just that nothing against the actor his performance just doesn't really pop for me yeah he's kind of too normal for the people around him and the movie around him yeah i guess that's what it is and that's normally i would say that about the angela bettis character too because you know the star of a toby hooper movie should be weird and angela bettis should be weird so normally i would be like no she's too normal but i think she does such a great job of being normal in a way that's interesting and believable yeah and she doesn't really fit the mold of a normal you know, just as an actress and the like her look and everything is not the standard heroine right. of a horror movie. So. 
um this is the i know this episode has just turned into me asking if you've seen other stuff but um <laughs> I'm, I'm okay <laughs> did you see 12 hour shift no i i i've been hearing about that's come up a few times lately i should check that out yeah it's because she's you like that i did yeah it's because she kind of was gone for a while i feel like or maybe she was still working it just was not in stuff that i saw so 12 hour shift was kind of the movie that put her back on my radar. I mean, it looks like she did one movie in eight years that I didn't oh, wow. see. Yeah. So is she, she was, the lead in that one or she, she is? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I got to check that out. Yeah. It's, it's a good little like black comedy, just about a hospital worker who's trying to steal organs. Um, <laughs> as you do. As you do. <laughs> And Bria Grant directed it and did a really good job. It's it's definitely worth your time. Oh, good. And it's Angela Bettis. So, yeah. Uh, star of Carrie. Star of Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> I might still like TV Carrie better than Chloe Grace Moretz Carrie, only because of Angela Bettis. Yeah, the only reason she could be said to be worst casting is because she's so old right to the character yeah the chloe grace moritz casting does not make sense to me yeah there was a lot i liked in that movie but i just could not accept her as the as the person that everyone hates in the school okay (laughs) no i completely believe you i just i'm wondering if i need to revisit it hearing that there's a lot you liked about it oh yeah i mean i mean when the main character is miscast that's a problem I (laughs) i just remember feeling like it's kind of a beat for beat remake i mean i like julianne moore uh and then the ending i thought was so like cg heavy you know oh, that yeah. it kind yeah. of took me out of it but i have That's your true. review pulled up and <laughs> i'm gonna read I, it this this is aged poorly but i remember thinking ansel it's ansel elgore plays tommy in that one right i had the exact same thought i know exactly what you're about to say yeah i was like uh, I just thought he was very charismatic in it. Yes. Like, I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, this guy is great. And I remember that he was one of the people they talked about for playing Han Solo and Solo. Or maybe what? Maybe he wasn't even in that. But I was just like, I bet they're going to get that Ansel Elgort to play <laughs> Han Solo because he's so charismatic and carried. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that guy. <laughs> Definitely. This will, this will pan out. He's a perfect person. <laughs> I had the exact same uh response when i saw him and carrie i was like oh he he comes out all of his lines in like a weird sideways way and like it was really interesting and then yeah that didn't work out (laughs) oh well (laughs) but that's what i'm referring to when i mean that i liked things about it it's not overall it didn't work for me okay um uh what else about uh toolbox murders could you name like a top three toby hooper movies Oh, well, let's see. I mean, my top two are definitely Texas Chainsaw and Texas Chainsaw 2. Okay. Uh, number three is difficult. Yeah, that's where, you, that's where. And I forget what you, what, what the screen drafts ranking ended up being. Um... I think we had Life Force at two. No, Poltergeist was at two and Life Force was at three. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's hard not, on one hand, Poltergeist is great. On the other hand, Sammy Fableman directed it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <no. laughs> I used to always take offense at people not giving yeah. him credit for it. I mean, I still do. Uh, but no, I've, just, I've gotten in like fights with strangers about it online, yeah. which is a mistake, oh, yeah. you know, but yeah. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, am I a hypocrite? Because then when I think about the top three, I'm like, well, it's hard to put that in there because it's so much Spielberg at the same time. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a great movie. It is a great movie. Uh, and Life Force, I'm a huge fan of. And I always, um, I always felt like it's, it's so great. And then it kind of devolves into a bunch of, into like a light show at the end. Yeah. But then I saw it in 70 millimeter seven yeah. years ago and it and they, they did not have that problem at all. It just it was great, so. <laughs> and it was a real good audience where like I was surprised people weren't laughing at it and stuff. It was just because Seattle's not always the best audience for that kind of thing, but it was it was it was great. Nice. Well um all right, we'll come back to number three. But what was the was it the Mangler? Like, obviously, you always loved Texas Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw 2. Was it the Mangler that got you to reconsider a lot of Toby Hooper stuff? For me, it was um, the Fun House. Like, I saw a theatrical screening of the Fun House at, like, 2 a.m. during a 24-hour oh, cool. marathon. And seeing it for the first time on the big screen with like all the color and it was like this perfect print. And I was like, Oh my God, this is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> and then I really went back and like revisited every Toby Hooper movie and just fell in love with every single one. You know, actually I think it might've been the, uh, the toolbox murders when it came out. Okay. Um, Cause I definitely at the time that I initially wrote about it, I was kind of of the belief that, that he was kind of not good anymore because I don't. I still don't really like spontaneous combustion. Although yeah, like that's him. that that's a harder one to go to yeah. bat for. I think I appreciate it more now than when I initially saw it and hated it. But but I, it doesn't really work for me. But um, but I I did. I, I toolbox murders. I think now is better than I thought it was at the time. But when I saw it, I was impressed by it, and it kind of made me. Uh, go back and and watch some of those more a lot i mean just in general toby hooper movies have had to grow on me yeah because because even texas chainsaw when i first saw it as a, like a 14 year old or whatever i didn't like it so it wasn't until i was i don't know 19 or something and saw it again and it, and it became like my favorite horror movie yeah that's i i saw a lot of his movies when i was too young i think like to to get what he was doing and so there was mm -hmm. certain stuff that i kind of rejected like poltergeist i feel like pretty straightforward i get it texas chainsaw pretty straightforward i get it but some of those other ones i needed more than one viewing and i i do think like like a lot of great horror directors that like time had to catch up with him a little bit yeah um yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, when I was, it, it was Freddy that got me into horror as a, as a young person. And so I was all about, I didn't really even like Jason very much until I was older. It was just like Freddy, he turns 
he turns people into things and he stretches out into weird shapes and stuff. You know, it was, just, it was all the weird latex stuff that I loved. And so like just just stabbing a guy seemed unimaginative to me. Right, right. And so when I fr- I remember seeing Texas Chainsaw at a at a friend's house and just going like it's just a guy running around with a chainsaw. So, you know, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't seem interesting to me. And then but then I'm then when I was a little older inside, I just was like, oh my God, this is the best movie I've ever seen. And if, and like so many people, I believed at that time, like it's it's so raw. It's right. like crazy people directed it and and that's why it's good. And then and then over time I would see more and more pristine versions of it and go, no, it's actually a beautiful movie and works even better that way. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I wrote a whole article once for Bloody Disgusting about that very phenomenon that like it's this weird mandela thing that we've all accepted the common wisdom that like it's a documentary and then you watch it and you're like no this is like super formalistic and beautiful yeah and that's another thing that you get from watching eggshells and and seeing the how that evolved into texas chainsaw you can like the the way it's shot is very right. similar right even the heisters is like very beautifully composed and looks great you know it's weird but of course it's weird it's still beautiful i mean that shot of the van in the distance coming driving along the straight line you know like that's Mm -hmm. that's not a raw shaky documentary right or even the famous shot with the with the what's her name in the shorts you know where it goes under the swing (laughs) and all that like yeah the butt um yeah that's not that's that doesn't happen by accident and i think that's always been my issue with like the toby hooper naysayers is they they act like because he never made another great movie which i already disagree with uh texas chainsaw must have happened by accident yeah exactly and that's just not the case you know like you watch the rest of his filmography and you're like no the same person made all of these movies yeah, that's why the poltergeist thing is so infuriating because it's like you really don't believe that the guy who made Texas Chainsaw Massacre is good enough to make this. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or like, or even because it's a bigger movie, it's like he made Life Force. You think he could make Life Force, but he couldn't make Poltergeist, you know? Right. And Life Force is another one that people sort of like, oh, it's naked vampires in space and it's so wacky and that one, you know, got away from him. It's 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 an accident. It's like, no, that's the movie he was trying to make. <laughs> yeah. If they had just called it Space Vampires, people would have known what to expect. Yeah. In- Invaders from Mars is one that has really grown on me too. Like, I, I think I thought it was pretty good when I first saw it, but I I love, I think I didn't really pick up on until a few viewings that it's kind of like to me it's like in the point of view of this kid and so it's kind of like the world is running how a kid thinks that the world right. runs so, so he gets up and drinks dr pepper in the morning and <laughs> and he can go up and talk to the the colonel or whatever about like yeah i saw these aliens <laughs> <laughs> a, a little kid gets to talk to the military about what's going on and... <laughs> that was definitely one that like I think when like the laser disc, like I saw it on VHS as a kid. And then I think when the laser disc came out, I bought it and watched it and like something unlocked in it. I feel like it was James Karen saying like, damn it, man, hasn't anyone got a penny? 
<laughs> I was like, oh, this is all on purpose. I get it now, you know. And I had this whole thesis once that the entire movie is a refutation of the poltergeist rumors, but I don't think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> just like the reference to m&ms the kid eating it having the bowl of m&ms in his room and the oh yeah all the stuff with the aliens i forget all my <laughs> all my points you know i guess i should have written them down better but um. well that that can kind of bring us back to toolbox murders like what do you think about the idea that at this point in his career he makes this movie that starts out by talking about people moving to hollywood to follow their dreams and some of them move back home and some of them disappear yeah that was something that you point out in your review that this is kind of like a almost like a hate letter to los angeles (laughs) uh which is a reading i really like because i know he didn't have a ton of goodwill towards that town or that industry um it's one of those things that like it's almost underplayed so much that it doesn't come through all the way yeah, I agree. But he, he I mean, he did move to L.A. to follow his dreams, and he, I don't think he moved back. But he, um, and he did sort of disappear to a lot of people. Right. <laughs> but then I, I don't think I picked up the first time on how much the coffin baby is kind of this, like, Hollywood figure. Like, he seems to see himself as a, as an actor that he, like, um, injects his face and does these weird surgeries to his face to stretch his skin out and he has this fake uh picture like light up picture of the chinese theater yeah like outside his fake window inside his catacomb that he lives in (laughs) which is another (laughs) like total toby hooper touch like (laughs) the place inside the place you know like yeah yeah um, the, the whole idea of the spell the 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 architecture of the building and the weird symbols in the tiles creating the spell that keeps him alive. And 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 she puts the spell on her arms, right? Which is what keeps yeah. her safe at the end of the movie. Yeah, and it's a cool it's cool because she she's like goes to the historical society and she's looking at these blueprints and so she she writes the symbols on her arms and I remember thinking like well that's kind of silly that she doesn't get the paper <laughs> but then but then like accidentally she holds her arms up for to defend herself and it creates a spell that blocks blocks him or scares him off or something right yeah yeah that's very i, I like that kind of thing where it's like okay it's not realistic but it's much cooler than it's almost cooler that it's not realistic right exactly well it's and again that's a, that's another true toby hooper touch it's not hyper realism it's like it goes way beyond that um yeah i know coffin baby like probably could have started a franchise and i know they did make a direct-to-video sequel that toby hooper was not involved with and i can't remember if you wrote about having seen it or not but have you seen toolbox murders 2 i started watching it and did not finish okay got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind you, of what i expected yeah have you watched it i have not and there's a screen factory blu-ray of that which pisses me off oh geez <laughs> wow yeah um i mean obviously i i can't be fair about it because i haven't watched the whole thing but my impression from the beginning is that it's very cheap looking and just kind of takes place in this warehouse and is just kind of about torturing 
phony kind of model type characters and yeah no thanks yeah that's you know what this movie easily could have been if there wasn't somebody the caliber of toby hooper at the helm uh Mm -hmm. because the notion of remaking toolbox murders i can't imagine you know would just be another traditional slasher movie in an apartment building and as much as I've enjoyed some of Adam Girash's and Jay Sanderson's work, there's not a lot in their filmography that would lead me to believe that they were going to do anything different. So it is kind of weirdly reassuring to know that the the weird touches and all the coffin baby stuff came from Toby Hooper. Yeah, and it makes sense. Totally. Of course it did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss him. Yeah, he he says it's a thing that used to happen, that babies would be born inside dead bodies. <laughs> of course he says that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to keep you too long. Is there anything else you want to say about the movie? Uh, I think it's time for, for part three. <laughs> who would you give part three to <laughs> oh, that's a good question yeah oh lucky mckee we gotta get yeah lucky that would be McKee. my bet too is give it right he'll, to lucky mckee he'll bring bettis back and he'll he'll play coffin baby nice as it, as it was meant to be i like where this is going there'll be some weird folk rock on the soundtrack <laughs> he'll be behind the camera <laughs> in the costume directly the <laughs> have you seen old man yet yeah i did did, did you see it? I thought it was like pretty decent. I didn't yeah. love it as much as I've loved a lot of other Lucky McKee movies. Yeah, I feel the same. I I didn't, it was kind of like I enjoyed the entire experience. And then at the end, I'm like, I'm not sure what to make of that. But yeah, exactly. But it's like watching two actors that I like a lot having doing like a two person play kind of. Right. Yeah. It's funny because I watched it right at the same time that I was teaching a class, Lost Highway. And I, busted into class the next day and i was like you guys won't believe this movie that i just watched and what happens and i kind of described the plot and it's there's a lot of sort of similarities to lost highways and lost highway in terms of like what it's about and they didn't care (laughs) because they hated me for showing them lost highway but it's colonel courage they hated hated, okay they hated lost highway yeah they were not fans of lost highway But then today was my last day of class. And so I was asking them, like, which movies did you like? Which ones did you not like? And a bunch of them said they liked Lost Highway. I was like, you guys complained to me for two weeks <laughs> while we were watching that movie. What other movies did you show? It's a like a just a history of film class. So I was just showing that as an example of neo-noir. But I had to show a lot of, like, canonical stuff, like Breathless and City Lights. and uh but I showed like Rosemary's baby and I showed the man from Laramie and I showed uh moonlight. I mean, I, I was able to go off of the Canon a little bit, but uh, for the most part, I had to like stick to classics as like a representative example of time periods, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, no toolbox murders. For the- Sadly. No, t- I did show a class to Texas chainsaw uh, oh, okay. one, one time. Like, we're <laughs> gonna watch a horror movie i showed him texas chainsaw and the feedback i got was like that was too scary because it's not a <laughs> horror class and so i said all right i need to go a little easier on my horror selections in the future 
Um, well, this was a ton of fun, and I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this movie and so much more with me. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you online? Well, I'm at outlawvern.com. I usually post uh, four reviews a week. Um, I'm still on Twitter just until, <laughs> until it burns down. <laughs> I'm on Patreon. <laughs> and then I'm like, I try to be on Hive, but I gave up on getting it to load. And <laughs> I didn't even start um, an account. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of on Letterboxd and Facebook and stuff, but mainly, oh, and Tumblr. I tried Tumblr. Okay. Um, but yeah, mainly, mainly outlawvern.com. And people can buy your books anywhere, Amazon. I see Worm on a Hook on Amazon. Yeah, it's a print-on-demand thing through Amazon, so unfortunately it's only on there. But but okay. um, yeah, if you like, if you're open to me not being an idiot, um, that, <laughs> I'm very proud of that book. It's an horror action novel that's kind of based on the type of slasher movies I love and the type of like 80s and 90s action movies I love and trying to combine them into one powerful force and so i'm very proud of it that so is amazing i Sir? need to read it for sure because i oh, yeah. really enjoyed your film criticism books and have yet to read your fiction so i'm going to put it on my christmas list all right <laughs> <laughs> um well thanks again for doing this this was awesome thank you all right bye everybody Thanks for listening to FS Movie.